Hey, welcome back to the podcast. And I am excited for you to meet Pastor Amy Mulder. She and her husband are co-pastors in Michigan. And it was just a fun episode. We laughed so much and um, shared our hearts about God calling us to ministry, resisting that call. We talk about the difference between God sorting and refining us. Um, and we, and then the difference between a, a good hard and a redemptive hard uh, experience in ministry. And you're just going to be blessed. It, it's really, um, this is a powerful episode. So hang in there all the way to the end, share it with a friend and enjoy the episode. really need to tell better stories instead of complaining about it, right? What if we right. just start telling the stories and really flood the airwaves with something different? Yeah, and I they, they've done it and it's been really, even though it's not the same, it really helps like they go to school. I think that's helpful. Yeah. So how old are yours? Oh, no, mine are grown. <laughs> well, you look good, woman. How old are you anyways? I mean, I don't know if this is the official recording. You got to let me okay. know. I just, I, just I just turned 50. So you look amazing. I got, I have a 25 year old and a 21 year old. Does so. it get easier when they get older or do you still kind of worry all the time? I'm not oh, saying yeah. I don't oh, pray, yeah. but yeah. Okay, great. Well, yeah. Wonderful. yeah you, sorry, <laughs> sorry about that. Uh, this is, this part, this part is, I thought, I always thought like, I just get through potty training. I'll be fine. No, this is, this no, is you're never harder. ready. And mine are so smushed together and they're all different. So you never learn. Like you never, like the lesson you're learning over here never applies. It's wonderful. <laughs> what? <laughs> yeah, I, this is so hard. This is the, you know, they just graduated. They're trying to find a job and then COVID hits and. Oh my word. I yeah. mean, and what this is nuts this time. I know. I know. I, I've been really praying. I told my people we're gonna be working on prayer and perseverance and everything. And uh but I'm I'm having a hard time with not seeing an end an ending point. Yeah. No, there's so usually when I've been going through tough stuff, I'm like, well, we'll be okay when right. and there's no it's just like, okay, so Lord, show me how to, you know, climb uphill. This is nuts. Yeah. So. <laughs> yeah, I did when I, I did my annual retreat in August and like my whole goal was, okay, we're looking at another 12 months at least. So yeah, yeah, let's exactly. just, let's put together a, a self-care mental health plan. Like that was my whole, that's my, well, no, no, that's, well, no. And this is, um, I'm, I'm started my doctorate in, um, oh my goodness, transformation, transformational preaching at Indiana Wesleyan. Oh, wow. And that's the first class was spiritual formation of the preacher and I have to come up with a plan. So it's very lovely that I've had to, (laughs) that's my final thing. I haven't finished it, but I mean, it's due, but I, it's due in a couple weeks, but I'm just trying to think of, and I don't, um, we had this planned series on first and second Peter. We're going to go all the way through first and second Peter and first and second John before Advent and it's kicking our butts and our people are not really, so we need something else before Advent. Yeah. 
I just can't. I can't (laughs) do any more. I can't go to second Peter. Devin's finishing first Peter and we need to go somewhere else. We we can't get our butts kicked anymore. Yeah. Yeah. Do you do lectionary or no? We do the special days. So we do all of the special days that we love Pentecost, but I don't do straight lectionary. So I don't know what that is. We don't do lex- straight lecture. I know a lot of people are doing that now where they just follow whatever, whatever the. I like to have a shaping. I like to have yeah. a shaping. So this series was supposed to be who lives, who dies, who tells your story, you know, gotcha. on the legacy of Jesus through Peter's eyes. Okay. Yeah. Which is a really good idea. But what I'm telling you is as I'm preaching, it is like sanctification. Are you right? Bah, bah, bah. And my people are like, and I'm not feeling like it's lifting them no and it's not all about lifting them but it needs to be now <laughs> right so this is my this is it I'm trying to so if you have what are you doing because I'm I like reached out to Facebook groups and I'm like dang I need some help I what well, our plan is not working yeah we we're finishing up the series in Ezra and Nehemiah called living in a broken world and we're okay like rebuilding okay rebuilding but we're really trying to show the Easter story in there like so yeah. The destruction of the temple is Good Friday, exile, right. you know, those 70 years, that's Silent Saturday. The rebuilding of the temple and the wall is the resurrection. Good. Yeah. So we're kind of, we're trying to show yeah. that, you know, where are the, where are the resurrections happening in our life? Mm-hmm. Um, and then we're going into a four week series. We're kind of, we're stealing uh, Priscilla Shire's Breathe. It's not stealing. It's, it's not, not stealing. It's not stealing. We're borrowing. We're, we're actually, yeah. we're just, I just used the title, but it's really four, just four weeks on why, why you need a Sabbath and how to take a Sabbath. Um, so yeah, it's, I need that message, but my people are a lot retired and then young families. So yeah. I don't know, but I need that message. I've been doing her stuff on the Bible app. So I know you have a plan, Joanne. I will go everywhere. So let me just stop and let you leave. <laughs> okay. I mean, like, I feel like I'm talking to a friend, which I know is your goal, but yeah. I am horrible. I will, I will try to, I'm trying to, I'm actually considering, I'm not kidding, um, saying, do you need someone to listen to you to practice my listening skills? <laughs> like, just like put it on the marquee outside and then just come, I will listen to you. Well, see, I'm an introvert. So I'm always like that. I'm good with that. Yeah. I don't listen. You should it's share. So well, the prob- the thing I've run into in ministry is my listening style is yeah. to interrupt and like this back and forth. Ask questions, yeah, yeah. And that's where how I'm gauging. And people are have found some people, not everyone, but <laughs> some people found that really offensive. So I'm trying to figure out this middle where I can be engaged and yeah. So because you're a verbal processor, right? And um, like. It was mean-spirited letter, but it had some good feedback, like, you need to be a better listener. So what I did was, every time she came up and talked to me, I just lifted her forehead and just thought, don't talk, don't talk, don't talk, don't talk. I didn't hear a dumb thing she said. Right? Like, That's I it. heard nothing. It doesn't work either. <laughs> I know. Uh, no, we have mutual friends, right? Jen yeah. Crowder-Norix. Yes, I went to um, all of that with her. She was a little older than me. Um, we were in the same choir. Oh, so. okay. Yeah, she's like texting me. Are you ever gonna have Amy on your podcast? I said, I am. I am. I promise. Oh, girl. Yeah, I don't know how this works. This podcast thing. I think it's really special. I looked at some of your stuff. It's really neat, Joanne. It's really neat. Yeah. Thanks. 
I don't know. I keep every time I try to branch out, and then I end up back in the Nazarene world, which is fine. I'm, I, I just, I'm, re, I'm like, I guess this is my niche, right? And I feel like, like I wanted to start heavy hitters out there, right? But no, yeah, yeah, yeah. But I felt like God was like, no, you need to tell the, I need to tell the grassroots stories. Because that's really you do where need the to tell is. them, but it's okay to want some heavier hitters. It's okay. Yeah. It's okay. It's okay to Eventually. see that. I mean, this is, I am, I am contemplating, this is very inspirational to me because I was really contemplating doing a, a, a podcast on parenting. Oh, um, yeah, yeah. And podcasts are like, you are like a full attachment parent or you, or you fully homeschool and you don't. So this, or you're working and it's totally secular and give me wine. There really isn't this. Um, right. And maybe I haven't found it yet, but I think I'm just going to do it. So, yeah. So I'm yeah. really starting, I'm baby starting that. But like this, this like, and I can't come up with a name, but I have all my episodes kind of figured out. So who knows? <laughs> you, should, you should totally do that. Because I, I think that there is this place where, yeah, we're in all the extremes of like, okay, well, my kids do public school. I'm a Christian. I, yeah, I work or yes, but I still want to shape and minister my kids in a well and my big thing is we're raising men not boys and that is very randomly weird around my life I am not a helicopter mom at all and I have a 14 year old he's almost 14 I'm not you gotta chart your own way Bubba I'm here but you gotta go (laughs) like you gotta go forth and I that's really random like yeah. my, my the, around here, I'm weird, you know, and I know I'm not. the only. So like my 11 year old gets totally nailed on the soccer because he's really aggressive on the soccer field. He gets and he falls down and I'm like, get up. You're good. <laughs> like, like I am never. Cons- so I, I am a good mom. But I'm like, like and, and my friend's like, well, aren't you worried about him? I'm like, nah, he's fine. And he was. But I'm just saying like, I'm it's it's a this this biblical godly parenting that is hands off is not a thing <laughs> in the world and i think it should be <laughs> so i i was inspired i looked at your thing and then i was like you know i'm going to see if there's a parenting podcast that i connect with and there wasn't right so, i know okay maybe 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 you're part of my journey who knows Joanna? yeah well i even i was looking at that when i started i'm like i'm going to do this and i'm like is there anything and i'm like no, there's nothing. There there's lots of pastoring and leadership, but they're almost all aimed men. at men. Well, I told my professor on this professor thing, he, he had us read all these preaching books and he had a couple of Calvinistic authors. Oh gosh. Yeah. And, and I just said, listen, these books need to not happen. Like I, he goes, what's your criticism? I said, I absolutely love this class. I'm glad I'm in this program, but these books do this and this and this. And yeah. he goes, you know, I was contemplating not having these books in anyway. And he said, okay. I said, yeah. and here's ones I would suggest it was, because he had wonder, he had Barbara Taylor Bradford and he had the one lady from Princeton, like she, he had women in there. So he wasn't right. non-represented, but we have enough Calvinistic preaching models. We don't need them anymore. Somebody recommended, I, I can't, I shouldn't say the name of the documentary, but somebody recommended a Netflix documentary to me Which one? and, and I, I can't remember the name of it, but if I said it, you know, no, I would, cause I'm a documentary junkie girl. Okay. I am like, so oh, okay. So the one that they recommended, like, okay, there's some people in there. Uh, I, I was like, okay, Rav, Ravi Zacharias makes a little appearance. Okay. And I'm like, okay, there's a lot of Calvinist preachers in here. I, I, but I can still get around this. And then. And then no. 
and then Piper shows up, and I'm like, out, out. I'm, no, exactly I'm sorry. Right. I'm like, yeah. my grace only goes so far. I'm still what looking at it. All right, I'm sorry. We need to hear your questions. <laughs> <laughs> well, I will say, because you're a church planner too, right? No. No. All right. Um, no, we've been in. So our we have been in Breakwater Church of the Nazarene in Muskegon, Michigan, um, for ten years. This is our 10 year anniversary, October 1st. Oh, ours and too. Our, and, oh, cool. Um, we've been in ministry for 15 years. Our church in Texas that we were in was Port Arthur First Church of the Nazarene. And it was over, it was 90 years old when we went. Where was and that? Then, um, in Port Arthur, Texas, on the border of Louisiana, um, okay. in Cajun country. Yeah. yeah. Um, about two hours from Houston, where I'm from. And then, um, up here, this church turned 100 in 2017. Wow. So we are a part of churches that are older and declining. <laughs> That's yeah. our, I don't know why this is our ministry. Um, <laughs> um, so it is like church planting because all of the growth has been new Christians. Right. But we have to keep this established building operational with no money. So that is challenging. Yeah, it is. But guys who are really faithful, um, it has been very tough 10 years here. Um, they, I interviewed pregnant wow. here. Um, I, we were not looking to leave. Everything we did in Texas kind of grew the church. So I was young and dumb and thought, oh, I know how to do this. <laughs> That's when you know you have a problem in ministry. If you think, oh, I got this. No problem. <laughs> I got it. You, you, are, you are about to have some, some wake up call. So we had a real vision for that community. And we had somebody giving us land. And um, so our church in Port Arthur in Texas, the first church we pastored, had, um, it was like a white flight thing. Okay, so um, we were in the middle of the hood, and then everybody drove in. And so we started ministering to the community, and it went from like 25 people to 150 by the time we left five years later. Wow. So, but we were sensing, we were praying, because we had this community center built, we had this whole thing. Our youth group was all of the gangs that were warring together. It went from two to 70 really quickly. Like we were getting a lot of attention. I obviously know what I'm doing, right? Okay, so this, a lot of pride, a lot of people like, what are you doing? I'm like, we're just praying, we're fabulous. Like no one, I needed someone in my life to kind of give me a wake up call. And it, and, and so life did that. So we, <laughs> we were praying and we were coming to a block. You know what I mean? Like where people were not following us. They were not following us. And so we did this prayer and fasting for eight months. And Devin's like, they are not following us. Like we had this whole thing and we had, we had um, the church on the street. Let's merge. You know, like there was, there was a real vision God gave us, I think. I mean, it could have been hubris. I'm not sure. But I mean, God was using that energy that we had. Right. Um, and they were not following us. And it just was kind of obvious. And we came up to Michigan to visit Devin's mom for vacation and we were interviewing at Breakwater. I was pregnant with Tucker. We moved here October 1st of 2010. I had him November 5th. Wow. That's really not, I do, do not recommend. Zero <laughs> stars, not a good plan. But when we interviewed here, the board, like, it felt like this was, this is where we we're supposed to be. Our church here is directly across from the high school. Okay. Mona Shores High School, Norton Shores. Yeah. So as we're driving away with the DS, I thought my boys will go to that high school. We'll graduate from that high school. No, my boys will graduate from that high school. The next day, Devin said, I really feel like the boys are going to graduate from that high school. 
And I said, did I tell you that? And he said, no. So we had this Holy Spirit moment. So in my inexperience, I thought since God was so clear, it will be easy. Yeah. And it was, it has not been, it has not been. All of the people that hired us are gone. Yeah. Um, they, they really were surprised when I like pastored, preached and led. And they also aren't paying us much. So Devin went to work at UPS and he had been working at UPS before. I have my teaching degree. We have to feed, we have to feed, feed our family. We were trying to live on what the church gave us. And that caused a lot of resentment because we were, I just, my first Christmas here, I didn't have any money for the boy staff presents. And that may not be a big thing, but I was like too proud to say to my mom, like, I don't have any money. So I had $20 for three kids. And I went to the dollar store and it just sort of made me feel so bad. I'm like, here we are with our master's of divinity degrees and we can't even buy a Christmas present for our children. And in that moment, I just kind of said, okay, God, I can't do this. And God just said, listen, I'm going to make a way for you. And um, Devin really makes great money at UPS. It's how we've been able to work. And we have stock options and 401k. So we don't have, the church is not our bread and butter and it helps us serve them better. Yeah. But it was really tough. They said really mean things as they left. And there has not been an easy road since then. But what has refined, what has changed is my need to be impressive. Um, God has formed in me, like, this isn't your show, you know, I'm, I'm an actor, performer, singer chick, you know, and God calls you to this weird calling where everyone can criticize you all the time. I think I could really go into acting at this point, you know, because like I've gotten horrible reviews or whatever, like people have not been kind sometimes, but, um, there is such a blessing being here for the long haul. Because even in this current time, it's like, we're staying, so we're going to figure this out. There isn't this need to look over there and see that God has really refined that out of me. So it has been tough. Uh, the biggest thing that happened after everybody left that hired us, and they said Devin was, they said, they made up lies about Devin. They made up lies. They said I was to this. We were just... They said they wanted big events, so we did them, and people came, and then the people, the visitors left because everybody hated each other, <laughs> and so they all left, and I'm like, well, we're, not, and then we've had new Christians and new believers, and that has been, that is my favorite part of being a pastor. That's an amazing thing. Right. So the other thing that had happened in 2019 is we had an embezzlement issue. That was our best friends. Oh, goodness sakes. I didn't know that. So what happened is we did not get paid um, 2018 December. We didn't get paid. We didn't get our pay direct deposit. And I, and I called. And what happened is there had been no deposits made for a couple of weeks. It was just this bad thing, right? So I went and investigated. And then I'm like, we have to get this, our friend, John, out of the treasurer thing. He can't handle it. Like he's busy. So he's working. He has young children. He's busy. He's just incompetent. So my thing is he's just not able to do this job. So I get um, our new treasurer who was our old treasurer who took a break and was willing to come back. And it's amazing. We pay a bookkeeper. 
Um, we pay a bookkeeper, we have a treasurer, we get a yearly audit. We do all the right things. We have accounting team. And what we found out is that reports had been falsified and um, like really well done thievery. And it was $20,000. Well, we only raise 100 a year. So he waited till after the yearly audit and then became a very, and I think he must, I don't think we're his first rodeo. I think probably some of these job changes were due to this. Okay. It was a big betrayal. That was our best friend. And um, we had to file charges because he lied about, I found the first bit and then I asked and you know, it's this big long thing. <laughs> and then, and then as we investigated and then the detective, when we met with the police said, you're a good investigator. So at least I have a fallback plan if anything happens. So this has been, that was 2019 of just, we thought we were, we were wondering why we weren't getting the momentum that we anticipated because we were really, there was a movement right. and it was the sin that was open and they are still in our school district and down our street and they are saying things that aren't true. So my hardest thing for a, as a pastor is being that sanctified person that lets God handle my reputation. Yeah. And my carnality would like to just go on the PTO website and just tell the world, you know, right. That's my carnality. Um, but God has stopped me. <laughs> so the, the key is Joanne, I am behaving well, but sometimes my inner right. behavior is not so I just Lord sanctify me so Lord sanctify me and now we're in this COVID I don't know if anybody's there <laughs> this COVID time of pastoring is I got 30 people in the sanctuary so that's good mm -hmm. and I got the same 30 people that I know that there's people from Guyana watching but <laughs> which I am not counting or whatever but like I got the 30 people that say they're watching online but we're not connected and I'm like what are we doing is anyone there and that's where we are <laughs> right it is like what are we doing Devin goes are we doing anything right I'm like I have no idea yeah and we really don't I, and I think that's probably one of the most frustrating things when you're a lead pastor is the truth is we won't know for another 12 months if no. we did what was right or if we did what was wrong and you no. can't go back and fix it. And that's hard for me because I love to say, look, we're going to do this for the community. And we did give away backpacks. That was one thing. 140 backpacks full of stuff. We started our first church when I was six months pregnant. Wow. And then 10 years later, I was having... No, five years later, I was having our third boy, and it was, we had three under three. Wow. And then he turned four right away. So three under four is probably a better way to say it. Yeah. And so I always had these babies around the church and around everywhere, and it took me a long time to figure out how to function, because being a mom and being in ministry is so challenging, and then Devin was working his job, and so I'm trying to figure this out. And so I remember here at this church, I would bring all three boys here and try to do nap time here and try to get something done. And that was not successful. And so what I ended up doing was I would work from home, except for the days I could get someone to watch, you know, and then I, start, I came upon, I will put them to bed and I will come here and work for two hours and I got a million things done. So I would try to be here today in the day and would get nothing accomplished, like maybe half a thing. And then 
that was a good, so I really, I really am grateful that everyone was so dissatisfied with us when we moved here. So I just learned, well, I got to do what works for me. And it was a good lesson. You know, my people pleasing self could not, could not, it wasn't working. So I just did life for me and the boys really survived well <laughs> and I take them on visits and they've been a part of everything but boy is it it was just this horrible dance and a good dance you know I don't think they're gonna I think I hope that they will love the church as much as I do because I the church has broken my heart but I love the church are you guys co-pastors Yes, Devin and I co-pastor, um, which means, but I do the heavy lifting because I, I don't work outside the church. Um, I have, I've subbed and stuff. We have always had this conversation, like, should I go to teaching or should he UPS drive? And he has moved up in the echelon enough that it's much more cost effective for him to be a UPS driver. But we wondered, you know, we wondered. So we share the pulpit and we share the board leadership, but I do a lot of most of the administration right? Um, and like the finer things. But the thing I have to do that he would be amazing at, but I have to do is I have to be working with contractors when there's building stuff. And that is very, very challenging and outside of my comfort zone. But, you know, we can call him. <laughs> <laughs> right. And we hire people based on if they don't treat me like an idiot. So before they come, before they come to visit, I said, I'm, I don't know about roofing, but I'm not a stupid person. So I need you to treat me like I can learn. Yeah. I, I think it would be good if that's how we hired most of our people. <laughs> well, and I, I'm from Texas, so I don't know about boiler heat. I don't know about copper pipes underneath cement. Yeah. So I, I mean, you've got the same setup as us. <laughs> well, we, yeah. we had, we had to hire an engineer and get the pipes up and then like, so, you know, and it's just our building's original since 71. I had to learn about all of that. And then, and it's just, it's mind blowing. This, this, this fall is amazing though. Cause last fall we have a huge roof leak and every time it rained, I'd have to run to the church and get all the buckets emptied and you know, yeah. so we now have a new roof this is how this works, but at least I don't have to have buckets because we need a roof. We can't, we have to have a roof. So yeah, I, I really, the building stuff is very stressful, very, very stressful for me. And so I just do a prayer and God helps me, but it's so funny when people come and they're like, we really need this. We really need this. I'm like, anytime. Yeah. The building is, is terrible. I'm like, well, you hate, you want it, you want to just not have to worry about it. And yeah. it's not what we're called to do. But then when you realize our building in Port Arthur, I was just hated. I hated the building. It felt wet. Like we had a really beautiful sanctuary, but the rest of the building felt like it was sticky and wet all the time. And it wasn't just my children. It just had that feel of that sticky linoleum and just, sticky. yeah. And I'm like, oh, I hate this building. You know what I mean? Like, just, ugh. and then I realized one day when I was complaining that Paul had gone to work all day and then the seventies had come to church and physically built, put that paneling up that I hated so much. Yeah. And that Jim had physically put this horrible linoleum in that I hated after he worked his job before he went home to his family. Mm -hmm. And so I learned how to be quiet and just realized these people actually built this thing. You may not love it, but these people actually did it. So you need to be quiet. 
So this church has the solid cement walls, which is very steady. Yep. We need we need new carpet, but we have a wonderful it's a structure that works well. If we could use it for the community we have before um, this this building will be fine. But our property is worth a ton of money because we're right across from the school. So there is there is this weird um, thing where I've people are like, oh, you have such a great location. You know, this 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 intuition that women, I don't know if it's women's intuition or the Holy Spirit or what, but we as leaders, we should trust that twinge of um, this is a little creepy or this is not, that is a gift that I think God has given us. And I, I don't think that men don't have it. I just think we have to listen to it. So I'm telling you, every time I've met someone that's been trying to size me up as a leader, or I've been in a situation where I'm in leadership and they're kind of asking me some questions, every time I've had an intuitive thought and I've argued with that. So I consider that the Holy Spirit, but, but every time I'm like, Amy, oh, come on, you're making a big deal out of nothing, or that's right. not such a big deal. My, my gut thought or my intuition or the Holy Spirit, whatever you want to call it has always been right. I have, so I have learned how to listen to that in my, in, in my head and my heart. Yeah. Oh yeah. Mm. But it's hard because you doubt yourself. I mean, we're, we're taught to, we're <laughs> I know. No, I just heard something though yesterday, and <laughs> we're okay. taught to. We're taught to just be like, you don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> we are. We are. It's kind of true. One because, and I'm not trying to be like hyper feminist, but one because you're a woman. Yeah. And and you, you know, you let your you let your emotions and your feelings. Yes. Uh, override your logic, which I just heard this yesterday that if you have a brain injury to the part of your region that does logical processing, uh -huh. you still make good decisions. If you have a brain injury that damages the emotion or feeling part of your brain, you, can't you make don't good make good decisions. decisions. Because the reality is every part of our, every decision you make, there's feelings and emotions. Wow. Well, I get that a lot. I'm very emotional. I'm very emotional. Um, when I'm talking about Jesus, I weep. Yeah. I, I cry a lot during sermons and it's not a manipulative cry. It's that I just get so overwhelmed with the power of the message of what Jesus has done for us. And I really do believe following Jesus can literally transform your life. Yeah. And it's the most important thing I have. So when I'm in pastoral meetings where I'm usually the only woman or maybe there's another woman, I refuse to apologize yeah. for crying and getting emotional. And can we just, can we just, can we both disagree right now that men get applauded for it? It's very unfair. It's May absolutely unfair. Yes. Start weeping in their service. Oh, what a, what a wonderful tender man. What a tender man. I know. Yeah. And it's very, it's, it's completely, it's just such a double standard. Right. What's also challenging is since I've had children all the time as I pastored, yeah. um, I have to bring babies to meetings sometimes. You know, now my babies are now 13, 11, and 9, so that's no longer. But there was a day, and I had to bring babies to meetings. So I either choose, and you don't want to go, okay? Because you know when you walk up, roll up in there with your diaper bag and your toddler and your baby, and you have to excuse yourself to go feed your baby and all of this stuff, um, you know that it'll be commented. You know you are the other. You know you know you're on the outside. Yeah. 
but I just did it because I didn't, I was like, no, this is my space. I belong in this meeting. And there would be comments and, sh and I just, and I just thought, you know what, you need to pay for my childcare. If you have a problem with my baby being here, give me some childcare money because I don't have it. And I finally just decided I'm not apologizing for these children. And I brought them stuff to do and I did my thing and it was not easy. And I'm so glad I did it because it really gave me a seat at the table. And now when I have my young men, the twenties pastors that are coming with their babies, everybody's so accommodating right. to the children being in the room. So I want to say I blazed a trail. Right. Okay. But I really suspect it's because I was a woman that it was treated so differently. Yeah. And I don't want to be jaded. I don't want to be, I already denied my call. So I don't want to deny it now, but it is challenging. It is challenging that whole aspect of, am I too emotional? Am I too mothery? Am I too this? And I have refused to apologize for a lot of years and I'm not being arrogant doing that. I am saying I belong here. Yeah. And I've had several male colleagues say this one pastor, that's a woman that's coming up for ordination. She seems really arrogant. And I'm like, dude, if arrogance was a, was a deterrent <laughs> to ordination, there would be no one ordained. I mean, what are you talking about? <laughs> she's, she's halfway assured. Let's give her some props. <laughs> You're telling me if arrogance, there would be no one ordained. Yeah. <laughs> is she sure she's arrogant or is she just confident in her own skin? She has an opinion she feels is valid, you know, and I have been just, I've been told to be quiet in meetings, you know, because now I am 44. So I do not care what you think of me. No, oh, yeah. I like you, Joanne. I think you're great. But if you don't like me after this meeting, it's okay. I got friends. You know what I'm saying? Like I, I have, I am not, I am not worried about people pleasing. I am not worried. Will this comment be too big or too little? Uh-uh. In this meeting, gonna be me. And that's it. Shouldn't have invited me. Shouldn't have, should have lost my invitation if you didn't want my voice in here. So now I'm like just obnoxious sometimes. And I don't, I think it's okay. I think it's okay. I think it's okay just to be in there. If I was a guy being coming forward and being just me, it would be like, what a leader, what a man, that person's decisive. Boy, I'm really impressed. But since I'm a girl in there, it just, you get seen differently. And it, that is my most sanctifying task. Lord, cleanse my heart and help me just know that I am called. Cleanse my heart and not worry about these people. Because not everybody's against me. It's just the one guy or whatever, or the two, or the women. I've been told to be quiet in a meeting by women too. <laughs> I, I, I never tell anybody to be quiet. I'm like, like I wouldn't even think about that. But that, I guess that's my personality. Anyway. Well, this this part of my effervescence, the bubbly label, that means you know you're anti-intellectual or whatever. It's taken me a while to realize you can be bubbly and smart. It's taken me a bit. Yeah. But um, this bubbly label that I get, people feel very free just to tell me to be quiet. You know, so you know, I think that's interesting that you say that because. Um, I hear the opposite. Uh, oh, do you? Okay. Well, maybe because I'm, no, because I'm an introvert, and oh, okay. So I want to I want to think about what you're saying before I'm going to respond. I know this, and and they're like, it's just, are you are you are you here? Are you paying attention? Do you care? Like, I I get that. It's you, the opposite because you need a minute because you're trying to be thoughtful in your response. Yeah. 
that, that, must not be engaged. I must not be engaged, and or I just don't think deeply. Like, like that is interesting, Joanne. I mean, I would think that you would get the deeper thinker thing. You don't get the deeper thinker thing. Oh, I don't think you do. No. Oh man, that's interesting. I find a lot of things funny though, so I'm not sure I always do myself credit because I find some things in meetings absolutely hysterical. I can't help it. Like, I mean you may not know you funny, but you funny right now. Like, it's just funny. And so I just find my way through that. Like sometimes when I'm laughing and then no one else is laughing and I'm like, Oh, <laughs> so I don't, <laughs> <That's myself. funny. laughs> right. we are not allowed to sit by each other in any meeting. I believe like if we're ever in a meeting together. Maybe we just need to not be, but, um, <laughs> but I, um, there was something that happened at a meeting where somebody was saying something that was completely unself-aware. So it was like, if I said, it was the equivalent of me saying, well, you know, I like to, t well, I don't talk very much. It was like something like me saying, I don't talk much, which is not true, which is a lie. So, um, and that somebody was saying that and I just, I had to go here, you know, with my mouth, my hand over my mouth. Cause I was like, oh my word, you don't realize that you just said who you are and think you're not like that. Wow. You know what I mean? Like, so I just do find people really, really funny. Yeah, it, it wasn't, it wasn't like a, they were they were being sarcastic. They were being no. Okay, so it's like my most negative, my most negative parishioner, um, that does not know she's negative. People are hilarious. They're, they're the sense that people are not funny when we're in ministry when we're ministering to them or their other colleagues is just people are hilarious. There is nothing funnier in the world. Oh yeah. People. So you grew up in the church, right? Yeah, so I am, this is, this makes me very fancy, Joanne, for you. I am a fifth generation Nazarene. Wow. Um, my boys are sixth generation. My family was a part of the Church of the Nazarene in Scotland before it all joined. Parkhead Church of the Nazarene, my family's on the charter. Wow. Um, so this was something that my Nana preached to me that we were, you know, saved from alcoholist, alcoholism because we became Nazarenes. Um, but it did her preaching to me about it made me want to run away <laughs> from the Nazarene church. So my, um, my grandfather was an evangelist, Bill Varian, and he pastored a Kankakee first church and a bunch of places in Michigan. Um, so he preached in Indiana, Indian Lake and all of that in Eastern Michigan, you know, like all those districts and there's this rich Nazarene history, um, very, and everyone's very proud of it. Just really neat stories. But I was, um, and my mom went to Olivet and she met my biological dad and he was a preacher, but he had manic depression, which they called, no, they called it manic depression then. So it's bipolar now, right? That's right. the, so he had actually in the church, he had a psychotic break and like ran through naked through the town or whatever. And that was in Ionia, Michigan, a little bit north of me or south, south of me. I don't know, somewhere of me. And um, that happened when my mom was 25. And then she tried to take him back. You know, he was not pastoring after he went to Pine Rest and had some mental health care. And he kept choosing not to get better. You know, so that was the yeah. psychiatrist said he's not choosing a path of getting better. Was, so this would have been... 70s, 80s? Yeah, so I was born 76. Okay. Yeah. This was probably like 70, this was 76, 76, 77, 78, that kind of thing. Yeah. yeah. So, so there was, yeah, because mental health care was still very. 
Yeah. So he had like the shock treatments and everything. And there was a lot of scary instances with that. And what happened with that is my, my grandpa had put, my papa had put his name on the line for my biological dad. And then my mom was seeing all this weird stuff happen. Like he would come home with a car for the youth group. You can't spend the youth group money on a car, like all this, these cries for help. And then my grandfather actually took it out on my mom. Like you should have told me, you know what I mean? Like she goes, well, I'm loyal to my husband. Nobody acted well. So my mom is like 26, I'm three and she's dealing with all of this. And she really did not have a support system. Everybody thought they were supporting, but they were all wounded and couldn't support her. So she was, she's, she, my mother is amazing. So, um, when that she find decided to divorce him, it was the time in Michigan where they let go of all the teachers that had seven years of experience or less. They laid everybody off in the eighties. Right. Yeah. So she had me and she needed a job. So she called up the NEA and they said, Houston, Texas is where you will find a job, which she almost didn't get hired because she's a single mom. And I was this little adorable four-year-old, you know, yeah. and we traveled. Yeah. So we drove our U-Hole trailer and our Mercury Capri and my mom did not know how to drive stick shift. So she would go Amy sign and I would hold up the sign. My mom is learning to drive stick shift. Please go around. And we went to church every Sunday and my mom is eighties divorced in a big, in a Nazarene church in Houston. So she's seen very, you know, like she's going to be after everyone's husbands or whatever. And she was adorable, but she wasn't. So when she meets, when I'm, she was dating when I was five or six. So she gave herself a couple years and I remember her crying, you know, it's, she married Mr. It at Olivet. They both went to Olivet. They were like the couple. And then he totally was cheating on her. Like, with his mental illness and cheating, you know, when I was born, like there was a bunch of mess. So, and how do you deal with that when you did everything right? And here's God, you know, God, I did everything right. So she still took me to church all the time. I went Sunday night, I went to caravans, I did it all. And then we met my dad, who um, is my, my dad, they married when I was seven and he adopted me when I was eight. And my mom is a, my mom is getting her master. She's a professional and she meets this janitor that drove a truck with a big buckle and boots. And that was the start of me. And I married him too. You know, I was in love with my dad forever. And there was just such a blessing there. And that the church became this really wonderful place for my family. And then when my dad went on a mission trip to Africa in 1988, our whole family, there was a sanctifying thing because the church broke my mom's heart. When the thing happened with my dad, the church in Ionia took it out on her, this little pastor's wife, you know, she's 20, but they were mad. They were embarrassed. So they just, they were very hateful to her. And my dad going on this mission trip just sort of made everything like we were about the church that became that. Yeah. And it was, it was, the Lord, but the church became a thing again. It was a, this redemptive body. And I was 15 when I went down to the altar and accepted the call to preach. Wow. And this little church, and so that means by my 45th birthday, I've been preaching for 30 years. Isn't that amazing? <laughs> um, and this little church in Texas let me preach on Sunday nights. Oh. And they were so entertaining. Like we have them all on VHS. If you ever want to see them, <laughs> like my mom has them somewhere in our house. They're horrible sermons. They're horrible, but they're very entertaining. 
Because I'm 15, standing in front of everybody going, be still and know that I am God. That's all you need. You just need to be still. It was much easier to preach then. <laughs> it was easy just to go, just be still. Know that I am God. I remember that. I remember I printed little cards with the verse to hand out after. You know, I didn't know what I was doing. No one said, this is how you do a sermon. I just came up with whatever I had in my head. Yeah. Nobody said you might need to look at a book. Nope, nothing. Hey, nothing. Yeah. hey you have the Bible. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> just do what the Bible says. I know. So for me, it was just this thing. And when I went to college at Olivet, I felt really called to go to Olivet. I, from Houston, so that was a big scandal because I didn't go to Southern Nazarene University, but anyway, when I felt called to go to Olivet, um, I was in Texas, but we went to my mom's like reunion and I felt like this was the place for me. Um, and we toured the religion department and there were no women, there were no girl students and there were no women anywhere, which a whole lot has not changed and you don't have to publish that, but come on, <laughs> y'all need to, hello, anyway. <laughs> Well, they had more students and Mary Paul was at Olivet for a while and it got a lot better. And Therese is there now, so that's good. But there, I went to the, I toured the religion department and I got very spooked, you know, um, very, very spooked. Like I can't do this. So I became a teacher and I did all the student chapels. Everybody liked me. They always wanted me back and I was speaking. I'm not preaching, I'm speaking. And every time there was an evangelist, I went and studied and, you know, Dan Boone was the pastor of college church. So I went to church and heard like the best preacher ever. Right. And I was just, I was thirsty. I was very growing spiritually very well, you know, but I was never going to be in ministry and I would get real mad when all the ministry students were talking, I would be a part of those conversations. So I don't know what I was thinking. Anyway, I became a teacher thought I was going to just, you know, teach my way through life. And um, then my relationship in college broke up and that was so devastating. It's so hilarious to think of, but I mean, it was so devastating. <laughs> and so, I mean, not that it's, but I really, but it's, I was so devastated. Like I would get up and teach in Houston, Texas. I went after college, I went back into Texas and got my teaching job and I would get up and teach and then cry all night and get up and teach and cry all night. And this was this, this was the journey. I had planned my future with this guy and then he just dumped me and I was just devastated. And um, in the, I'm sorry, it's not funny, but I was so devastated. Like I literally could not even function. And um, I sought God's face in that thing. And I went to a a silent prayer service in my church. God said, you need to teach somewhere else. So God wouldn't even bring me back to the call yet. He knew I would reject the call, right? So I was for two years, for um, 99 to 2001, I was in Central Asia in creative access country number two, which is Kyrgyzstan, teaching. Now, I did not know Russian. I mean, I'm flying, I'm in a Muslim dominant country. I'm incognito, I'm a teacher. And I don't, <laughs> I, just, I just went and by myself. And so I had a ball. I taught English everywhere. I taught missionary kids. I taught English and um, at the universities and at the restaurants and stuff. 
and I and then 9-11 happened and I'm 80 miles from the Uzbekistan border mm. and I'm 25 now you know this is your mom of 25 year olds right yeah so my parents are freaking out okay and I am you have to understand for me I saw it on the CNN website it looks like a bad movie I'm so removed from it geographically it was really confusing to understand what that meant and even now when i watch 9-11 retrospectives i don't have a i don't have a i was just doing my job and then people are talking about my country and it was just weird and so my parents are freaking out they're like get up get home get home get home um and i'm like i'm 24 or 5 or <laughs> i'm 25 you can't tell me what to do okay now i'm a parent and i know that i will my boys will do the same thing to me there will be something crazy that they do and my mom is like not giving up and i wish she would just leave me alone and haha that's so funny <laughs> i will never do i will be the same way my mom tigress mother came out you know and then we're meeting with the embassy and they're talking about if we have to escape over the mountains and it clicked for me oh i am in great danger <laughs> like we can cross these mountains and we could have some people that are friendly to americans over here and i'm like oh <laughs> this is not holy crap you know <laughs> no way so i um flew home and i told my mom i am very, very mad at you she's like i don't care <laughs> just get home and it was me on a plane there's only one british airways plane out of bishkek kyrgyzstan every two weeks and i'm totally by myself i'm the only person on the plane and i was so mad at god because i saw women trust in jesus that meant they would leave their families and i saw just so many people come to know the Lord. And I saw the most passionate Christians I've ever seen. People that would just sacrifice so much to believe in Jesus. And I said, God, why did you, why did you bring me and let me experience this if I have to leave? And God said, you always said I was all you ever wanted. Were you lying? And remember when you were 15, when you're 15, I called you. And I said, well, I can't do that. I mean, I am already weird enough. No one's going to marry me and I'm not going to have a family. And, and I argued for a while and then I gave up in that way in a very ticked off surrender, like just finished, done, fine. You can have my life. So when I went to seminary, I came home. And it was very brutal. I did not get a goodbye there. I did not get it. You know, it was brutal. I had, I went to counsel. I mean, I just, I really was a mess for a good year after that. It was pretty shocking to have to be ripped from there and, and just really feel like God was using you and not be able to say goodbye to people. I was going to seminary and I felt completely out of my depth. You know, I got accepted, but I didn't know what ecclesiology, epistemology, I didn't know all these big words. I knew I was smart, but I didn't know, I didn't know what this, people were doing this whole, like, sounding like they were smarter than they were, and I'm, like, uh, willfully out of my depth, and I went to get my hair done, and the lady, like, made me, like, bright yellow blonde instead of highlights, you know what I mean? <laughs> so here I am trying to be impressive, and I look like I'm, like, some sort of, like, like, dark root and blonde, like, horrible. And I'm like, oh my word. So I was just sitting there going, I, am, I look horrible and I'm going to class. 
you know, and I had to just be so embarrassed and, and I'm so insecure, you know, asking all the questions. And I finally realized that I'm paying for these classes. And I just asked a bunch of questions. And um, I realized I belonged studying this and that this excited me in ways. Also, I realized that waiting tables during seminary is a really good combination because you learn how to deal with people. And I made more money than everybody working less hours. <laughs> and I wasn't ordained yet. So I was the best alcohol seller at Longhorn Steakhouse because they gave gas cards for if you sold the most alcohol. And I just sold that sucker. I mean, I sold. I was a seller. Woo. And they're like, Amy doesn't even drink and she sells more alcohol than you. And I was like, yeah, I need that gas card. So, um, so here was me in seminary. And then this guy fixes my car, who is my husband, you know, and we were married very quickly and God's still, it's just moving, just moving. So by the time I met Devin, this co-pastor life was very decided and very, you know, in the rhythm of my life. I can't imagine pastoring without him. We have such a, but it took a while for us to figure it out. You know, we were married three years before we started pastoring. So it took a while. It took a while to figure it out, but it is such a blessing to see that God is just constantly calling me like, Amy, I am for you. And I don't really know what I'm doing now as a pastor. You know, do we ever? Oh, I don't. <laughs> And I'm still going to push people. I'm still going to push people, not because I'm mean, but because I long for the day. Like this is such an authentic conversation we're having. I long for the day that when I'm with a bunch of pastors and I ask this question, what do you do when you don't really like your people? Now, that's a really shocking question, right? Because you're never supposed to say, but you love your people. But there are times where you don't like your people a whole lot. And I'm in the meeting with pastors. There's no parishioners around. And I expected to get a real answer. You know what I mean? Like I expected people to go, you know, here's what I do, Amy, when I don't like my people. And the fact that I even articulated that sometimes you may not like your people just shocked the whole room and I never got an answer. And so fine. So well, now goes, if you asked it now during COVID, I bet you'd get a different response. I bet I, no. So everyone goes around the room judging me, right? And saying, oh, sister, we will pray for you. And like, I'm just this horrible person for saying that. And I said, wait, come on. So I, and I, I don't stop there, Joanne, because this is, this is how it goes. God helps you. And I said, come on, you're telling me you've liked your people all the time. What do you do when you don't like someone that you're, you're trying to pastor them and they've really been horrible to you and you don't like their personality or whatever. And, and, and they go, well, and then I got the real answer. So there is a moment, there is a place for me, but I have to break down the door sometime. Oh my goodness. When I, when I first started, you know, there's, I just felt like there was so few of us and, and now all of a sudden there's like, where are all these church players? these women church planners come from this is awesome where have you it been is, it's really and ministry has to change and that's what COVID's teaching us I mean I have known this for a while like and I love being in this community for as long as we have been because we know it we know what to do we're called upon it's a great thing this community element um I love it but sometimes you do wonder like oh I could just go somewhere easier and there really is nowhere easier every place is tough it's all tough 
and after 10 years here, I just, I do see my boys have always been involved in this place because there's always been a place for them because there's, and they really, they really have a beautiful relationship with this church, you know, and when they lead worship, it's a beautiful thing. Yeah, it is all hard. We, you know, my kids were, oh, so it's been 10 years. So they were, uh, so yeah, they were like 11 and 15. And so they pretty much grew up, but they had all their high school years and junior high years yeah. here. And and because we started it from the ground, we just, I just said, okay, what do, what do you want to do? <laughs> you yeah. know, I just had like a pen and a paper. I'm like, pick, because you're doing something. What do you want to do? Yeah. You know? And so, yeah, it's very different. There's hard and then there's hard. And I, I was trying to explain it to somebody else because I'm like, I know, first, I know exactly what you're saying. Yeah. Yeah. My first assignment was hard. <laughs> like, <laughs> like I, you know, without saying too much, like it was, it was tough. And I said, I, I, I was telling somebody, I grew a whole bunch. I grew a ton. Like it stretched me. It stretched me, but it was redemptive growth. It was like, okay, I'm going to grow you a whole bunch like to make up for it being really hard, you know? Wow. And then there's this that I've done for 10 years where it's like when I go for a run and, and I'm done and I'm drenched in sweat and I'm out of breath. It feels like you're hurt. Yeah. But it's good hard. Yeah. And so this is, this is the question about, oh, that's such a good hard, good hard. This, um, this experience here has been, great for me to just totally crucify my ego and just offer my ego because as somebody that has upfront gifts always have had upfront gifts you can get really hooked on applause or your own pr and um god has redeemed all of those upfront gifts for his glory and not my own in such a beautiful way and just i am not worried about my like, is this, what, what is this saying about me? It really isn't. So it makes me sort of dangerous because I really am not worried about this like perception of me or reputation or anything. Cause I know that I'm doing what God wants me to do. So it is hard, but there's such a redemptive, like Amy, you are staying. And that my mom was a pastor's kid and they moved four times. They moved every year of her high school career. They moved four times in her high school career alone. Wow. And it really did mess her up. And she kind of was sharing with me. And so when we moved here until the boys graduate was this, this Holy Spirit thing. And the boys are getting a blessing of being able to finish school where they started. Yeah. Now, and I'm, I'm, I'm realizing that's a bit of a sacrifice for me. It's eight more years. I'm sort of counting down. I'm just saying, I'm just sort of counting down in a way, because sometimes it's hard to be here and sometimes it's beautiful to be here and all of this stuff. But the fact that we've made that commitment, we feel like that's of the Lord really changes you. You're not looking for the next, you're just like, this is where we are. It's a great thing. And we get calls every year to go other places. <laughs> no girl, I don't, it's a, it's a thing where, I don't know. It's a thing where it's never like a church that like, could make it so Devin didn't have to work at UPS. So it's never been that. Like that would be the one tempting thing that we'd really have to pray. But when it's just like, 
oh, well, he'll work at UPS over here. We're like, we're trying at some point, we would like that not to be our story. <laughs> but I, my bless, my hope is that in the next eight years, this church will grow big enough that that could happen, you know? But I mean, it feels like I'm saying, let's go to Mars. I don't want the church to grow for Devin to quit UPS either. Right. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, that's not, I'm not like, I don't want to be like, have an agenda. I want the church to grow. And if it's just deeper and people that know Jesus because they were our neighbors, that is enough for me. Yeah. And there are, there are people in this church that we got to pray through. And there are people in this church that we got to, to see them meet Jesus. They said our marriage was almost on the brink and we were, and to, for God to use you to help people lean on him, there is really nothing better. So I'll deal with the boilers and I'll deal with the bad carpet and I'll deal with some people never really quite loving what I do <laughs> as long as I can be standing at the precipice of this amazing moment where God comes in and somebody says, I want to know more about the Jesus you speak of. And then I get to say, oh, let me tell you about him. He's my best friend. And then sometimes on my worst day, I get greedy for more. And then God reminds me that he has already been quite enough. Well, this has blessed my soul. <laughs> Do you have anything else <laughs> to ask me? My heart, I didn't, I didn't know I needed a counseling session there, Joanne, but apparently I got one. I, I think COVID is, I, I was hoping yeah. COVID would be a refining fire yes for the church I feel like I feel like right now it's it's a it's sorting like yes like, and, like the sorting hat, be, Harry Potter <laughs> no it's sorting right right I know no it's sorting I will tell you what will happen is not, not all of us are going to make it out of here so I mean that's just I mean I don't mean I mean like when I look at my district there's not not every church is going to make it no and yeah. it's okay like we need to be able to be okay with some endings is my thing. Cause at first I thought, Oh, this will be a, a refining. But then I realized, no, there's going to be a sorting first. That's and a really good thought. That helps me in a way I'm framing prayers to think of it sorting than refining. Yeah. And, and I think the refining will come, but I think that it's like God saying, no, I have to do the sorting first. Then we'll do the refining. This something was bound to happen here with this um and i just want i just want our church to be growing in in depth and you're right we're not going to know for a year so i just told Devin, we sat down and prayed for our church we believe in our church we believe in our people um i do love my people <laughs> um but i said honey if the church closes if the church closes will we be okay he says if the church closes it was supposed to happen, but we are going to fight as hard as we can. We're going to pray as hard as we can. But to me, I had to be able to say that. I had to be able to say, God, if this is your will, if you close us, we'll be okay. Like the molders will be fine. God will use the molder somewhere else. Now, I don't really think that's what's going to happen because I know our mission is steady and we have a lot of energy. Um, as, a, as a church body, there's a lot of energy but I refuse to stand in the way of what God could do. Like what it, our church in Texas closed in its current state. Like once we came up here, the people shut the doors on the, 
on the youth group we built and it was so sad. So the district came in and closed that congregation, but it's the congregation that's meeting there is a Spanish speaking thriving congregation. So that's God being used. And the still, still the people, still the people that went there like, Oh, that killed me when the church closed. I said, it's not closed. It just got, right. the Lord is working there. That building you built is still being, you know, it's in the Nazarene church It's still, you know, but it's just funny. People really get stuck. And so that's my thought, like God refined me, but also just blow open my expectations. Yeah. Advice for women who are trying to articulate, discern that call. If you are feeling called, um, let me tell you, you are. Um, nobody would choose this. <laughs> if they were not called this is a this is so if you're feeling called you are okay so accept it but also i think it's a very my first piece of advice is write down why you feel called and what you feel called to do make sure you have it articulated and know it because you'll need to come and look back at it when you have a rough day or when people doubt your call or say that you're doing things wrong you need to know that you're called and the second thing I would say is you need to have um, a mentor or a friend or many um, or a group um, that will help you and pray for you. And you need to have friends, women, fr women, pastor friends. You need to have other friends. You need to have friends. Even if you're introverted, if it's one friend, I mean, I got a whole, you know, committee, but I'm saying like, you need to have some friends there. There is, this is a lonely calling. I don't care what ministry you're doing. A lot of times you're just in an office by yourself and you can feel really alone and you're calling people to like, oh, come be my friend because I'm alone. <laughs> At least I am because I need people. But you need to have friends so that you can continually have this interaction with you. And the other thing I would say, if you're feeling really called, just spend a lot of time in the Sermon on the Mount. Read Matthew 5 through 7 and plant it in your heart and realize that if you're going to be salt and light, that you need the Lord. And as soon as you can get someone praying for you and please reach out to me, I am, I love to talk and to women who are called. I love to encourage young women um, that are called right out of college. Um, they or right in high school because they have so much energy and I just love that. And I love the wisdom of people that have been it. And the other thing I would say, the fourth thing is become a turtle, have a tough, tough shell and a soft, soft heart. Yeah. Turtle. We are turtles. I'll, I'll write my book. Okay. About turtleness. I don't yes, know. Yes, but we are ninja turtles. <laughs> That's right. Ooh, I like it. We're ninja turtles. What a blessing. Thank you for blessing me today. Oh, well, thank you. This was fun. It was a great, great. I have a headache now from laughing and smiling so much. <laughs> All right. Thank you. And if you want to just talk for real, not podcast, you feel free, but I will not call you because I know you need a minute. Yeah. Okay. Minute. <laughs> you can message me first and then I'll call I'll, There we go. <laughs> <laughs> hey, can I talk through something tomorrow? <laughs>